Welcome to Spiritual Grit, the podcast where we talk real talk about spirituality through the lens of activism and social justice. What happens when activism and spiritual practices collide? What sparks of change call for the grit we need to create meaningful strides in social justice? I'm your host, Leslie Ann Hobayan, poet, priestess, activist, professor, hip-hop dancer, and badass mama. Join me as we dive in to learn more about our deepest selves so that we can be better ancestors to create a stellar world for our descendants. Grab your dancing shoes and let's get groovy with the grit right now. Hey loves, welcome to the new podcast, the new look, the new vibe, totally loving it. Hope you are enjoying the new intro music. It's so awesome. It gives me new life. I'm like, yes. So we got a new look, got a new name, new vibe, but the content remains the same in that I will still be talking about spiritual practices. I'll still be bringing in issues of race and gender and class, social justice, bringing all the things. It's just now I'm taking the gloves off. And I'm getting real, real. Now, I have been getting real, real. But I mean, we're going to really just dig in and dive in. And I'm really excited. Um, So for our, I guess, new episode, our our kickoff episode to the new look, uh, I'm still going to call in Hafez, but we're just going to start talking because there's lots to talk about these days. So here we are with Hafez and the gift. And this is called, I saw two birds. Both of our mouths can fit upon this flute I carry. My music will sound so much sweeter that way, with your breath and my breath poking each other in the ribs and kissing. I saw two birds on a limb this morning laughing with the sun. They reminded me of how we will one day exist. My dear, keep thinking about God, keep thinking about the beloved and soon our nest will be the whole firmament. Forget about all your desires for truth. We have gone far beyond that. For now, it is just pure need. Both our hearts are meant to sing. Both our souls are destined to touch and kiss upon this holy flute God carries. Phew. Love that Hafez. I mean, he gets down into that whole ecstatic love, desire, divine stuff. Love it. So just a little comment on it, as as I like to do. I can't just read a poem and just leave it, right? But this idea that forget about all your desires for truth. It's so interesting because we on this planet, when we seek out our life's purpose, we are also seeking out truth. And here Hafez is saying, forget about it. You know, we've moved beyond that. So what does it mean to move beyond this human desire for truth, for life's purpose? It, it's really stepping into the divine, stepping into our essence and connecting with source, with God, with spirit, you know, whatever name you give that higher power. And it's just pure need to connect with that divine energy. And this part I love, both our hearts are meant to sing. Such a great reminder 
for us to say, hey, you know what, even though we get wrapped up in our egos and our three-dimensional bodies and love to point out who's right, who's wrong, we forget that we're really meant to be here, to express love, to be love, and to sing together, to connect together. And Hafez says, both our souls are destined to touch and kiss upon this holy flute that God carries. I mean, I just love that invitation to come back to who we are at our essence, to really remember that despite our challenges, we are all called to honor and express our divine selves. So that said, I can't help but think about what's been going on in the news, in the world, in the country, specifically right now, thinking about all of the violence that's happening against Haitian migrants that have been living at the um, U.S.-Mexico border, specifically near Texas, and how they've been treated inhumanely and how they're being sent back to Haiti after not having been there for 10 years. A lot of these migrants have been living under this bridge. Well, not for 10 years, but they they left Haiti 10 years ago and they traveled through South and Central America seeking asylum in the United States. And our government says, nope, sorry, we're closed. And I just, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, what can we do to encourage compassion, to encourage love and to show some humanity to folks who have been displaced? And the thing that people forget is that when folks come to this country, they don't necessarily come willingly. You know, they don't, especially those seeking asylum, they they didn't leave their homes to come here and, and live it up. You know, they left their homes because it was no longer safe for them to do so. And this is the piece that gets left out. You know, it's like people love where they live, generally speaking, right? And, but once you are in a situation where your environment, your home no longer feels safe because home is about safety. Home is about love. Home is about support. And when those pieces are no longer there, it's not home anymore. And so even though there are roots there, some of us have to leave for safety, for security, for our lives, you know? And so it is so frustrating and enraging and just to, yeah, to, to know that the current United States administration, that Biden's administration has um, gone back on the promises of treating refugees with care. Um, yeah, I just, so here's the question. All right. So this this podcast isn't about making grand 
political calls for action, although I'm not up beyond that, right? But there are plenty of places that do that, that say, hey, you can donate here. And I will put in the show notes places you can donate uh, money for the efforts to um, to help the Haitian migrants. But it's more about when we are in this place as individuals, right? And we see these atrocities and we feel helpless. We feel like, well, what can I do? What can I do from here? Like, so a lot of us feel in that helplessness, feel like, okay, well, I can't do anything. So I guess I'll just look away. And that's not really the answer. It is, what can I do to be a better person? And I know in this age of instant gratification, in this age of wanting to see big results immediately, it's hard for us to trust that being who we are is creating real lasting change. You know, I was in conversation with some this community that I'm part of, my soul family, and I asked the question, you know, how do we keep doing this deep inner work when all this other stuff outside of us is happening with all this violence, this devaluation of human lives? And it's just a question that, that I pose and, and I've been pondering and just, you know, we've been having discussions about it because it, it doesn't feel like we're doing enough. But the question becomes, can we be okay with that being enough? Trusting that who we are being can start the ripple effect towards change. You know, so for example... Everyone around me knows that I am a, very much a political activist. I am not um, secret about my political views. And I am also very vocal about things, not just in politics, but just in things in general. And sometimes I'm like, is anyone out there actually listening or hearing? Maybe I'm just talking to myself. You know, it's, it's hard to know what kind of effect you have. And then once in a while, and this has happened to me, once in a while, someone will reach out and say, oh my God, thank you for writing that poem. Or thank you for that podcast episode. Or thank you for that blog post. I don't feel alone anymore. I feel so seen. Or thank you for that email because now I know what I can do to take action as a white person for example. So I just keep showing up. I keep doing what I feel called to do. I keep sharing what I feel called to share and trusting that those little actions create the ripple effect to shift change in the ways that make this a better place. Um, one example that comes to mind is that I was um, away at a training for healing. It was for breath work. And I was one out of three, no, four women of color, any person of color, actually, um, 
which is not unusual because when it comes to these mainstream healing spaces and wellness industry stuff, I hate the word industry, by the way, when you put it next to wellness and healing, it's just, it's so capitalist, right? So I'll, I'll try to use other language. But when I'm in these spaces, often I am the only person of color in the room, if not one of like a handful, you know, I get excited if there's more than just me and another person. If there's three people, I'm like, oh my God, yes, so good to see you. Um, I had shared one of my big dreams, you know, like the big billion dollar vision, right? Or a hundred million dollars. We'll just say a hundred million dollars. I had a friend who asked me, what's your hundred million dollar vision? And I was like, ooh, that got me thinking. So I was sharing with this woman uh, who was part of the training, a white woman. She she had shared uh, previously that one of her dreams is to create a, a wellness space, you know, like a, a studio or a center for healing and inviting all of us participants. We, we had grown very close. All of us invited all of us to um, to come and share our gifts, our healing gifts. And I thought that was beautiful. And it also got me excited because that is part of my big, 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 big dream um, to create a space for healing exclusively for communities of color. And so I shared this with her. I said, you know, when you, when you shared with the group, this dream of yours, I was like, oh my God, me too, me too. You know, I want to create something very similar to the Omega Institute, which is, a, they call it an Institute for Holistic Studies, um, or Kripalu, which is also, um, I don't know if it's an institute or a center for, you know, holistic and integrative health. And I was thinking to myself, like, how amazing would it be to have that kind of institute, that kind of space, that kind of organization exclusively, exclusively for communities of color. Um, I, it just gets me excited because yeah. And, and I explained in, in the previous episode, why it's so important for us to create safe spaces for women of color, but you know, generally for people of color. And so I shared this, this dream of mine with this, with this white woman. And she said to me, why just people of color? Like she was, she was generally asking me questions. She was like, you know, why not open it up to people? And I said, well, because it's important for us to create a space where we can be totally ourselves, where we can let our hair down and not get asked questions about why is your hair that way, for example, or can I touch your hair or, you know, any other kinds of questions that feel like interrogations of our being. And she's like, well, I don't, I don't know, really? That's, I mean, that's really what happens. And I said, listen, you know, wherever I go, if I am in a community of mostly white folks or even in mixed company, you know, and it's not just people of color, I'm always looking over my shoulder. I'm always on alert. I'm always looking at what I say and how I say it. 
you know, how I'm being when I'm in the company of folks of color is different from how I am when I'm in predominantly white communities. And, and she, she didn't believe me, which I, it's like par for the course. Right. (laughs) And I was, I was just like, yeah, and that's it, you know? And, And she really, um, at the time, I mean, maybe my memory serving me wrong, but at the time, I feel like she felt a little offended and excluded from my vision. And in my head, I'm like, fine, good, because that's how folks of color feel all the time. And one of the things I did say to her was that the reason I'm my intention is to create a space exclusively for communities of color is because we don't get access to the resources that white folks do. And if we are given access, we have to do so much work to get it. We also have to do so much work to be believed. You know, don't even get me started on the healthcare system as far as like how many stories I've heard from friends who are like, I had to advocate for my health. I had to continue to insist that what I was feeling was what I was feeling and to fight against the continuous gaslighting of doctors who are like, oh, you know, maybe you're making it up. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's this. Maybe you're not really feeling that. Maybe it's just stress, you know? And when they tell me these stories, I'm like, like I just get so frustrated and like angry and I'm like, ah, um, it's, it's, it's something, oh, I can't even, I can't, I can't even. And so what I want for us, people of color is to be able to get access to healthcare where we don't have to continually fight to be believed, where we can just say, Hey doc. Oh, but also to be in conversation with doctors of color. Like how amazing would that be? I have a woman, doctor, um, Indian woman and talking to her is always a joy. It's like, Oh my God. Like I can feel totally relaxed, let my hair down metaphorically and, and just talk and she, and know that she's listening, that she is, she's hearing me and she gets what I'm saying. You know, I, I have other doctors who are white dudes and I'm less, well, one, I'm less likely to be 100% honest. I put on my professional voice because as a as an Asia, a petite Asian woman, I tend to not get taken seriously. So I put on my professional voice and then I drop it in the conversation that my dad's a retired physician. So basically, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not making stuff up. And so um, that is so interesting because the minute I drop that little factoid, their demeanor changes. And then they're like, oh, okay, I'm talking to their, their, their way of being and the way they behave around me. is like, oh, okay. I know someone, I'm, I'm talking to somebody here who gets it, who understands like symptoms and health stuff. And okay. Because what I find is that a lot of male doctors, not all, but a lot of male doctors are arrogant. You know, they know it all because they went to med school and they studied all the things. They know all the symptoms. And if your symptom doesn't fit what they know, what's in the textbooks, especially as a woman of color, then you must be making it up because they know it all. And this is the thing that I don't want 
folks of color to have to deal with anymore. And this is why I want to create a space of healing and wellness and just overall awesomeness for communities of color. So that's my answer. <laughs> you know, and she, and she, this, this white woman looked at me and she goes, oh, like, and the thing was, I don't think it really registered with her what I was saying. Like she, she still didn't quite believe it. Like I could see it in her, in her face, in her eyes that she was trying to wrap her head around it. Like, really? People don't believe you? Why don't they believe you? So that whole, um, so she's not yet aware of the deep conditioning set in people's minds that is white supremacy, you know, that is racism. She's not aware yet just how insidious it is and how invisible it is. But, you know, we, we learn in our own time. And so, yeah, so this vision that I have is just like, I mean, talking about it gets me excited because I want to not only just have this holistic institute, right? Um, the idea is to provide trainings for folks so that they understand their bodies, they know how to tap into healing modalities so that they can keep themselves healthy and they don't have to rely on um, Western medicine. Of course, Western medicine and Eastern medicine are important, but it's it's to, like to begin by tuning into the body and trusting the body and listening to the body for messages of what might be in misalignment. And um, that's what I want is to have that kind of education of made available to communities of color, uh, not just education, but also like offering opportunities to practice that stuff. Um, you know, whether it's yoga classes, whether it's Chinese medicine, whether it's Ayurveda, um, you know, breath work, meditation, uh, all kinds of healing modalities, sound healing, like so all these good things, right? And and not to mention what I would love to include are like ancient indigenous practices from all over the world. You know, I'm thinking about like not just Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, which is all like Asian stuff and maybe Asian traditions, like shamanic traditions, healing traditions, but also looking at other continents, looking at Africa, you know, and what um, practices are there, for example, looking at the, um, the indigenous folks in Australia, the Aborigines, you know, and the Maori in New Zealand, you know, I just think about like, how amazing would it be to bring all of these things under one roof under in one like big center. Okay. So that's, that's one part though, because my vision is big. And um, I'm also imagining that there would be a camp. So I've, I've already envisioned a campus, right? But there would be one area of the campus where there is Western medicine available, you know, so there is health services available for folks of color um, where they feel seen and heard, you know, and ideally serviced by providers of color. I mean, oh my God, I think about it. I was like doctors of color, nurses of color, massage therapists of color, therapists of color, like, woo, yes, 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 yes. And then, and then, cause I'm not done yet. Another part of the campus, 
I would love to have an artist colony where artists and writers and poets can live there for a month and create. That's all they have to do is just create. You know, there are writers' residencies and artist residencies and colonies all over the place, right? But are there any that are just for people of color? And when I say residencies, I mean like you live there for a month, two months, three months, um, and work on your projects, and that's all you do. You know, you get fed, you have a place to stay. I mean, that's how residencies work, right? And I've been to a few and they're, they're amazing. I mean, it's such a gift to have that, especially in um, our capitalist society that emphasizes you need to do, 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 do. Art doesn't matter, you know, but it does. It does. It feeds our hearts and souls. And so um, I think about those spaces because I've been to conferences and writing workshops where it is just people of color and the magic there is amazing. Like the energy, the, the, the knowing that is exchanged between all of us is, is, uh, is something to experience, you know? And of course there is, you know, the, the differences also, you know, it's not, we're not a monolith of people. So what I notice from one experience is that, you know, black folks just know and get each other and I'm on the outside of that and I accept that and that's cool, you know, but it's just so nice to witness that, that folks can be themselves, you know, and, and then I connect with, you know, other Filipinas and I'm like, Oh my God, let's talk about food or whatever it is. Right. It's just such such a, a great nourishing experience to be with your people and to not have to apologize, to not have to censor yourself, to not have to second guess yourself or look over your shoulder. It's just a really beautiful experience. And that's what I want. So the writing, you know, workshops and conferences I've been to that have been just for people of color have only been maybe one or two weeks, right? And there's such potency there. The energy is just Now imagine what that would be like for months at a time. You know, I just imagine like I've been to uh, the Vermont Studio Center and they host anywhere, I think it's like 50 visual artists and about 18 I think, um, creative writers, writers and poets. And, um, usually it's for a month's time, four weeks. And I think about like, how amazing would it be if there was that model at my dream place, which has yet to be named. And it was all folks of color and we were all just creating together. Like, Oh my God. Now I'm like, maybe we should invite dancers and composers and screenwriters and, you know, like actors and, oh, oh my God. I get so excited just thinking about it. So yeah. So that's my hundred million vision for y'all who are listening, who might um, have some funds. They'd like to invest in philanthropic projects. Um, I am the visionary. I'm not necessarily the executor of the vision. So I need to find my executive executors of my vision as well. So if you love this vision and you are one of those 
who can organize and, you know, put a plan into place to make this vision happen, reach out to me, please, because this would be some powerful stuff. (sighs) Anyway, so this is what I mean by who you're being can create change, right? I don't know if the version of me from, let's just say five years ago, would have come up with something this grand, this magnificent, you know, but because I have been doing the work, the inner work, I've been doing the self-reflection, the personal development, the spiritual growth, I'm stepping more and more into myself and shedding all of the conditioning, all of the the versions of me that are, aren't really me. I'm becoming my most authentic self that who I'm being is starting to live bigger. And when I live bigger, then that affects others within my sphere. And then that ripple effect just, you know, radiates out. And that is beautiful. And so we have to trust that the work we're doing matters, that that we're doing it with integrity, that we're doing it with intention. Because sometimes we sit in meditation and we're just like, okay, I'm going to sit in meditation, put on a timer, and then you just kind of zone out. That's not really effective meditation. And I hate to use the word effective because it puts meditation in the capitalist terms. So let's, let's, let's rephrase that. There seems to be no purpose to your meditation if you don't set an intention. And just sitting there with a chance of just zoning out on your to-do list isn't helping you grow, isn't helping you evolve from the place you were when you started. And so why sit in meditation if you just end up being in the same place, right? You could be doing other things like eating some ice cream (laughs) or watching Netflix shows, you know? So intention is everything. And when you practice, whatever practice you do, whatever spiritual goal you have, Intention is everything. Intention is the thing that makes the difference, is the thing that allows for you to evolve, to grow out of your old versions of you. Because what happens is that your body, your your inner self, your inner light starts to expand, right? Your frequency starts to elevate, become higher vibration. And then the old versions of you are like, whoa, whoa, wait, we can't grow with this because we are set in a certain way. And so what happens is that this new version of yourself just outgrows, literally outgrows the old you. And the old you just kind of peels away, just falls away like a layer of onion. You know, everyone talks about the onions, peel away the onion to get to the, get to the essence of you. And sometimes this shows up physiologically, you know, this whole evolution of self where, um, your vibration is really high 
for an extended period of time, your body is like, whoa, hold on. We need to like, we need to catch up. The cells are thinking, we need to catch up to this, this new frequency. Can you slow down a little bit? And so physiologically, you might start to feel kind of off, feeling some symptoms, maybe, you know, more migraines or feeling extra tired or dizzy or whatever it is. Um, your, your physical body is just trying to calibrate to this new frequency, which I think is so cool. I mean, not the, not the physical experience of it, just the idea of like, your frequency is so high vibe. And the body's like, all right, we're going to try to catch up. <laughs> oh, but anyway, this is what I wanted to share with you today. You know, thinking about the travesty that's going on with the Haitian migrants down at the southern border, among other things, because there's so many other things that are happening at any given moment, right? But for this episode, I wanted, I wanted to bring that forward and present that event that's still going on right now and how we can use who we are being to help change, to help shift things a little bit. But also because we live in a three-dimensional body in a three-dimensional world to take action. And so that's the, that's the focus of this new revamped podcast while I'm still talking about spirituality and activism, things like that, it's, it's the bridge. How do we bridge those two? How do we do our spiritual work, our personal development? How do we work towards evolving our soul selves and take action for social justice, right? Because we're not going to just sit in our rooms and meditate and think that all the world's problems are going to be solved. Nope. That's not how it works. It's you meditate, for example, you get clarity in your mind, you get clarity in your heart, you then get inspired to take action. And so take action. How? For this particular scenario with the Haitian migrants, you can donate to the organizations that are on the ground right now. You can call your congressperson, representative, and say, hey, what's up? I'm totally against what's going on right now. And you as my representative need to do something about it. So go in there and shake up some stuff. Get these people, these, these, this administration to revise how they're handling the situation. You do not turn away asylum seekers. You can also just talk to people, bring awareness to what's going on. Talk to your friends who don't know. The, the thing is like mainstream media isn't even covering it. You know, they're more occupied with a, a certain white couple and that drama over there than focusing on the real violence of a collection of people. So... Talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors, say, hey, do you know this is going on? We need to do something about it. Or you can always reach out to me and ask me for more ideas beyond this. Maybe some of these don't resonate with you. Maybe some of these feel too scary. Maybe you don't have funds to donate, whatever it is. Reach out to me. Send me an email, lesliean at suryagian.com. I'll put that in the show notes as well. 
and I will help you with some ideas on how to create some real change. Okay, cool. And on that note, I'm going to close the episode with a poem like I always do. But this one is from Hafiza Getter. And this is the title poem for her collection, Un-American. Un-American. My mother transfers the last marigold from a pot to a patch of earth that she's carefully bellied out beneath her, the dirt cool as a penny. Her fingers tender with the bright petals as she demonstrates how what's uprooted can return to solid ground. Her colonial English helpless against her native tongue's prayers. Allah Akbar, my mom says as casually as she says my name. The wind, warmer than the water from her morning wudu, continues its pilgrimage east, a steady stream of fireworks chasing it in the distance. My mother looks at me all shine, her dreams quietly wild in her garden. She says the rain can do in Nigeria what no sun will ever do here in South Carolina. Her shadow, my only relief from the Confederate heat. High noon, work done. My mother settles in on the front porch where my father swallows the landscape in his hands. Leaning over his shoulder, she watches him sketch another promise. His wife and last child digging in the garden. Our likenesses, figurines, forever in a charcoal amber. In his mind, my father is always building shelter, the spirits that haunt him like mice in the walls. Oranges for Christmas, a single pair of khakis, to last all year. His mother, on her knees, Murphy oiling a white woman's Alabama home. The heat licks the corners of my father's sketchbook to a curl. He draws God's shadow right down to the horns. In the garden, the bees burn their tongues on sprouting chili peppers, turning the honey mad. Fireworks flash against my parents' American dream, a switch that turns all their ghosts on. Children prowl the streets with sparklers in hand, impatient for the holiday to dusk. I look for the ones like me and my sister, who, not born in this country, can never be president. My sisters upstairs, asleep in the relief of this independence. Returned from college, she's still never shed the gate of our barely remembered home country. My longing could drive a car, citizen I am to our parents' wounds. My sisters and my blood, the scar healed between them. Half of us never owned, half southern lynched. Strange fruit. Watch as I pull the slave out of me. How un-American to wear the names of what they fled. My grass-stained knees pledge allegiance to a country that belongs to no one I love. Phew. Man. Powerful stuff. All right, friends. The divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Namaste and get your groove on. That's it, that's it, that's it.
If you're feeling like fighting the good fight is bringing you down and hope is starting to fade, grab my free seven-day meditative challenge, Spark Joy in Chaos, by signing up for my newsletter, which will be more light to your inbox. Go to suryagiyan.com slash subscribe.